Is there a song that um, can calm your spirit with Christmas? Uh, some of you despise Christmas music, so you're like, no, no, I, I can't stand it. I dread now October that the stores start playing Christmas music. For me, it's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, but it's the Muppet version. <laughs> Who had John Denver and the Muppets on vinyl growing up? Dating myself a little bit here. Um, you haven't heard it? Have yourself a merry little Christmas. <laughs> Let your heart be light. And it, it worked for me, my heart. And it's interesting. Thank you. Thank you. I could keep going, but I won't. I won't. And I realized at 41 years old, I realized why that's my favorite song to hear on the radio. It's because at that point in my life, Christmas wasn't yet complicated. And right after um, the time that I learned to love that album and destroyed the first song, but I would drag it back, I'd drag the needle back over the first song so I could hear Miss Piggy in the 12 Days of Christmas. Anyway, right after that, Christmas got a lot more complicated for me um, because of family trouble and things like that. And, um, I think for those of us, even with intact families that, that sense the joy of Christmas and love everything about it, perhaps except glitter, I think what happens is, even for those of us that aren't cynical at all about the season, it's still challenging. Because if you've been in a department store, you know that you, you, they want you to feel a certain way. They expect it to feel a certain way, and you feel that way sometimes, often, rarely. The end of Elf, when they're all singing Christmas carols with Zoe Deschanel and they learn that Santa's real and the way that they feel, like we're supposed to feel that way. I'm sorry if you were about to watch Elf and you hadn't seen it and I, that's not a full spoiler, it's just a little bit of a spoiler, but I think it can be challenging because it doesn't feel that way ever or not often or not, definitely not as much as Hallmark would like for us to feel it. And so as we've been looking this particular season at the, uh, what I'm calling the beat poets of the incarnation, the women, the marginalized members of an occupied state who were the first to speak about the good news of Jesus, really speak about what it entailed, you know, they got older. And the second year and the fourth year, and for Mary especially, what was it like after watching her son do his earthly ministry? be crucified. She was there for his ascension into heaven, and then she waited again. So she was one of the Israelites that was waiting for the Savior. Then the angel visited her, and she wrote some of the first theological words about Jesus that we have. Then she gave birth to him and saw all this, and she waited for his earthly ministry. Then as his earthly ministry was going, she waited to see what would happen. And then the horrific happened. Then it was beautiful again. And then she waited for him to return, and she died, not yet seeing what she also spoke about in the Magnificat, Mary's song at the beginning of the Gospels where she talks about justice being over all the earth. Anna was this uh, woman who fasted and prayed, and the Lord revealed to her that she would get to see the Savior of Israel. What was it like three years later at holiday parties? 
Did they all like have a time where Anna would tell the story again? Or was it like she would want to tell the story and they're like, Anna, we know. Like, and it's great. It's great. We know that you got to see Jesus, but we've heard it and it's time for dressing or whatever. What was it like for Elizabeth being a little bit older and we don't know if she knew the story of her child, John the Baptist. Very challenging story. And the other reason Christmas is challenging is because long-term neighbor love is one of the greatest individual challenges all humans face. Regardless of whether you're a follower of Jesus, long-term neighbor love is challenging. And maybe you're not going to that meal, but for those of us that are, like, we have all these instincts. When it gets challenging, run away. Like, literally in the middle of the meal. Maybe we'll fight directly. Maybe we pretend like we don't have either of those things and we can just keep a smile plastered on our face when it's challenging. Maybe we've actually learned to love in the long-term way. You know what I mean? Because love the feeling and love the initial move is beautiful. But long-term love necessitates growth. We must grow. If you have an adult child, you know this. Interacting with them is very different than when they were 2 and 10 and 15. If you have a brother or a sister, you remember the things that they did when they were 9, but now they're 51. Long-term neighbor love is challenging. Do you guys tell old stories when you get together with your family? Are they the exact same? Do you resist telling old stories? Because the old stories are so comforting. Like, we know where they're going. We know where the punchline is. For some of us, they drive us nuts. I have a very mixed relationship with old stories because I've read enough psychology to know that if I'm listening carefully, I'll either learn something new or perhaps I'll understand how important that old story is to my mom. But my point is, the way that we go back to the old stories reveals that long-term neighbor love is an incredible challenge. And Christmas highlights that like no other holiday. And if you experience none of this, I'm so grateful for you. And I'm so excited for your family gathering. But for many of us, it highlights all that's challenging about being a human being. And you're like, why are we having a self-help talk about the challenging nature of cultural Christmas time? Because I'm nervous that you don't know that your faith speaks to you in every facet of life, including the challenging holiday meal. So picture your most awkward relative. Not necessarily the most difficult one. Maybe picture that one also. And if you can't picture one, I, I have to let you know you might be the awkward one. <laughs> Sorry. And I want you to know that when that awkward relative comes up and you have no idea whether they're, they're going to make a joke or say nothing to make you uncomfortable or talk about when you were four, and when the challenging relative brings up politics at the worst possible time just to bother someone else at the table, your faith is there with you in that moment. And it's wondering if you're listening and you're wondering if it has anything to say. So the beat poets grow old and their faith feels different. 
Some of us have had profound experiences of putting our faith in Jesus Christ, and for others of us, we've always known that his pursuing love was ours. And both of those stories are beautiful. You could argue that either one is more beautiful than the other, but I'm not interested in that. But I wonder if there was a time where it felt so intense. For me, that time was when I was about 22, and I began to discover certain Christian speakers and authors that really made me understand the gospel in a lively way. I had been a Christian for a long time, but when they spoke, the hair on the back of my neck would stand up. And I would feel a certain way. And perhaps you have not had an experience like that. Perhaps you have more recently than others. My faith today is more mature. And I'm really, you're really thankful for that. Let me just assure you, since I'm the pastor here. But the hair on the back of my neck doesn't stand up as much. And I want to remind you that happened to the beat poets of the incarnation. It happened to Elizabeth, and it happened to Anna. And it absolutely happened to Mary. And it's happened to you also. And where we could be challenged by that fact is we then think our faith is not as strong. And that's not true at all. Emotion will come and go, and emotions are important, but your faith remains. Because it's in Jesus, whose place next to God the Father will never be moved. I wonder what the years were like for Mary. We don't know much about her story. We know a little bit at the birth, a little bit of, I guess we do know a lot in some respects, but not as much perhaps as we would like. A little bit about age four and five, a little bit from this strange moment when Jesus is 12, and then a good bit from Jesus' ministry, and we know she was there at the end. But what were those times like in between? Did you know that uh, the New Testament writer James and the New Testament writer, writer Jude and Mary, who penned some of the first words of the New Testament, do you know they doubted Jesus' role? Do you know they were nervous about the way he was speaking? This is not a typical text used during Advent, but I think it's very important for us to understand. If you have your Bible, turn it to Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. And this text is a little bit better known to us than the second one that I'm going to use. writing about Jesus, he says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called out, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And there's a teaching in there that Jesus, uh, in other times, explains, which is full allegiance to him, is the first, how do I say this? It begins with him. Faith begins with allegiance to him. And then come our other allegiances. But he's saying something more expansively in this section about something else that just happened. Back up just a little bit to verses 20 and 21. Again, writing about Jesus. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. Now, for those of you that either are Catholic or grew up Catholic, they would say that those were Jesus' cousins. And for our purposes, it does not change the story at all. I'm not getting into that with anybody today. I am pointing out that they didn't 
trust in that moment his message. You know, Mary was full of all the emotions that you experience and I experience. She was afraid for him. The religious leaders were already talking about his death. She was scared. She didn't know what to do. They didn't understand what he was saying about himself. Their faith felt different. She could still remember the words that she had said, my soul rejoices in God my Savior. That's one of her lines from the Magnificat. But in the day-to-day life, it didn't feel the same. And in these two moments, at least, if not far more, that we don't even know about, she didn't know what to do. The beat poets gotten old and their faith feels different, and yet the gospel remains. And those of you that have been at the church um, for the last five years, I know that you know that some of my cynicism over Christmas is very apparent. I actually love it. But the memories don't go away. And so it presents a challenge. I love the lights. I love peace, faith, hope, and joy. Those are promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ that we receive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And during Christmas, they're all over the place in our culture. That's beautiful. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. One of the most profound explanations of himself to us. And we celebrate it at Christmas. And I love that. And yet I still have those memories, and I know many of you do too. And my fear as a pastor or my concern as a pastor is that we don't know how the gospel speaks into those memories and how the Holy Spirit is, even in this moment, healing us. Can you see the candles from there? In the Middle Ages, they represented very dark things. After the Enlightenment, we were like, let's do peace, hope, love, joy, and faith, or peace, faith, hope, and joy. I think Mary knew that God was in the process of purchasing her peace in the ministry of Jesus. I think she knew that she would be able to place her faith in her son and that he would save her from sin. I believe she had hope not only in the work of Christ, but that he was going to return again. I believe Mary knew something about the joy that's unassailable for those who are trusting Jesus. And she didn't always feel those things, whether she lit candles or not. And you don't always feel those things either. Just parents and brothers and sisters, for me, over Christmas, are in Missouri, Florida, Illinois, Texas, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, and Alabama. Not cousins, not grandparents. Can you beat that, Sheila? You have a lot of brothers and sisters. No? Really? Yes, I win. And I wish I could give every one of them a hug. And I wish I could have a meal with every one of them. And either at the end of the meal or right after, it would start to get challenging. Right? You have different family members than I do. You guys know not know what I'm talking about here? Because long-term neighbor love is such a challenge. To get to know people as adults that we knew as children or vice versa. And what I want to say to those of you that enjoy this season and to those of you that are kind of medium and then those of you that are resonating with me, the good news of the incarnation is God cares so much about peace around the world and justice, though he has not 
brought those yet in his second advent. He cares so much about the challenging meal that I keep referencing that he got personally involved. As the French mystic Simone Weil said, he crossed over because no one else could do it. And so even as the challenges of the season approach, we remember that our soul rejoices in God our Savior. As Mary said, my soul rejoices in God my Savior, even as we continue to be battered by the curse and by other people's sin and our own sinful tendencies. And we're trying to celebrate something incredibly cosmically, eternally beautiful and good. And we can't stand hearing that story for the 93rd time. Their faith feels different, and yet the gospel remains, and the gospel holds us. For those of you that have had to do some boundary work with family members, did you notice in Mark chapter 3 that Jesus put up some boundaries? For those of you that boundaries have been put up against you, the Holy Spirit is comforting you in this moment because that is what the Holy Spirit does. For those of you that love this season, I hope that it reminds you of the gospel, that God loves you so much that he got personally involved to save you from sin and death and to heal your heart. I have kind of a, a self-help tip for you. Because this season has a way of infiltrating our hearts in a sneaky fashion. And I want us to be better at holding the gospel up to our own heart and recognizing that it speaks to us not just about salvation, but also about what can, for some of us, be challenging about the holidays. And it's this. If you're going to visit family and you're married, the one of you that is taking their spouse to that family, ask the spouse what it's like for them when you go. You know what I'm saying? And if you are asked that question, be very, 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 very gentle. Thank you. So some of you also have the challenging meals. Okay. And the reason I tell you that is the current moment is beautiful with the lights and it's beautiful with the candles and it's beautiful with the presence in moderation and it's lying to you that you should feel a certain way all the time and then it gets very confusing to us as people of faith like where is my faith where is my hope where is my joy how is it that these people that I knew growing up that I love and I know they love me can rob me of it at least in my feelings that's how challenging it is to be a human being under the curse because Jesus has not come a second time. So while Mary continued to say, my soul rejoices in God my Savior, she was also given through the Holy Spirit an image of justice around the world and peace. And she never saw it. And we don't either. And we're bothered when we see it on the news and we're bothered when we experience it with our own families. And I have another encouragement for you, and you're going to think it's crass, but I think it's important enough I'm going to share it with you anyway. When you're at that meal, 
and you're challenged internally. You feel like you're having trouble breathing. You feel anxious. You feel angry. You feel ashamed. Go into the bathroom and cast that person or persons on Jesus because he cares. Don't, don't bring them and throw them up to heaven. <laughs> this is Peter and Paul both said, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And keep casting them until you can sense the Holy Spirit calming and quieting your heart. It probably won't be full, but that is what the Holy Spirit does. By full, I mean you probably won't be like, sweet, I'm good, everything's fine forever. But as you cast that person on him, over and over, Jesus, I cast them on you, knowing that you care for them. You're reminded that they're made in the image of God. You're reminded that he loves them. And here's another tip. This is going to sound weird to you, but talk to your counselor about it, and they'll be like, your pastor's not as bad as other pastors. <laughs> Been told that before. When you cast a family member on Jesus, don't do it with their title. Mom, dad, son, daughter, cousin. Use their name. It reminds you how God sees them, and it separates you spiritually just a little bit. And don't leave the bathroom until you sense the Holy Spirit's comfort in your life. Because he has promised you faith and hope and peace and joy. And experiencing it is a challenge in a world still cursed. And yet, you have those things. They are a promise from God the Father. Sealed by the work of Christ. Mediated by the Holy Spirit. And your family might look at you funny when you come out of the bathroom, but you will have experienced the comfort of the Holy Spirit. This is definitely the most number of times I've ever said bathroom in one sermon. <laughs> your faith empowers you and gives you the promises of Advent in every moment. The culture would lie to you and say you're supposed to feel a certain way just because it's December. The gospel says these things are purchased for you and sealed in Christ and are yours forever because his love, unlike anything else we've ever experienced, never, ever quits. That's the good news. And we're waiting on him to return and make all things new, but that is the good news today. And it is the good news you need to be reminded of regardless of how much you love or despise Christmas. This is the good news that we need to be reminded of this morning. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you that you have empowered these people to forgive me my cynicism. And we praise you that you got involved personally, Jesus, incarnating the word made flesh, assuring us through faith of your unassailable hope, unfaltering peace, and unmoving joy. Holy Spirit, draw near to these men and women. Those who profess faith in you, comfort them. Those that are considering Teach them your gospel, that you love and like them, that they cannot save themselves, 
but that because of the work of Christ, they're reconciled who put faith in you. And that we have the Holy Spirit holding us, loving us, encouraging us. Amen.